0: Hi everybody and welcome to the Scottsdale Saturday Big Book Study where we will study the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. My name is Maria F and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater and I'm from County Dublin in Ireland. Please note that the speaker will be recorded for the duration of the study today, however the question and answer sessions which follows will not be recorded. I will be hosting today's study, our co-host today are Nancy J and Suelle. If you have any questions or if you have any concerns during the meeting, feel free to contact either myself or either of the co-hosts and you can do this by private message in the chat function and if you can just please make sure to keep your microphone on mute at all times during the workshop that'd be great and in order that we can be all present with each other today we ask that you refrain from making use of the chat function for the duration of the workshop. We will have additional time at the end of the workshop in order to exchange numbers for sponsorship, fellowship, and outreach. So please do stay with us for that. We'll stay in the line for about fifteen minutes after the Q and A session. And now we will pass over to Harlan G. Good morning, Harlan.
1: Morning, Maria. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here. Uh, Summer has not lost its death grip on us as of yet. It is 93 degrees at 10 o'clock in the morning, going up to 106. So I'm hoping that by next Saturday, the 18th, summer will have kind of lost its death grip on us. I'm sure that that's gonna happen very, very soon. And I hope it's beautiful and I hope everybody is having a wonderful day, no matter whether you're listening to this on live as we're doing it on the 11th of September, uh, or or you're listening on a podcast, I hope you're doing well. And if you are or not, you're welcome here. We are in the chapter two, employers. (sighs) And this is the only chapter of the book that was primarily penned or exclusively penned by someone other than Bill, other than the doctor's opinion. Obviously, the doctor's opinion is primarily written by Dr. William Duncan Silkworth, obviously, because you know, it, it's his opinion in that. But this is the other chapter in the book. And Hank Parkhurst uh, wrote a story in the first edition called The Unbeliever. He was a bit of an atheist. He was a power driver, very much like Bill. Unlike Bob, he was a power driver. I've got my Ducks t-shirt on today. And as we speak, they're playing Ohio State in a big game, early morning game. And i uh, I unfortunately left the TV on and I can sort of hear what's going on and I'm hoping, I hope I don't get distracted by it because I'm a big Ducks fan. But anyway, that be that as it may, um, Hank Parkhurst wrote this chapter and Hank lived in Montclair, New Jersey and he started a business called Honor Dealers. Honor Dealers was a business that they were selling car polish you used to polish your cars and you know wax your cars and so on and so forth you don't see people doing that too much today you want to get your car wash or you want that done you go to the car wash you come home you're done and it's over but in those days you did and bill wilson worked there and jimmy burwell worked there and hank parkhurst worked there and ruth hock worked there and so on she typed most of most of the big or all the big books ruth hock was very interested Instrumental. But uh, Hank was very instrumental in AA history for a lot of different reasons. But one of the reasons that Hank was so instrumental is Bill Wilson was offered a $1,500 advance on the book, and he was ready to take it. He wanted to take that 1500 1500 to him at that time sounded like a billion today, because he was absolutely down on his, he was really up against it. He was down on his luck financially. And it was the height of the depression. And Hank Parkhurst pulled Bill aside and said, don't do it. If they're willing to give us $1,500, think of what this thing must be worth. And Hank Parkhurst changed the history of the world by telling Bill that. And today, AA controls the price, contents, and everything about the book today. And it's because of Hank Parkhurst. In this chapter, we have been talking very extensively about the applications that this chapter has to our lives. And so many people go into this chapter to employers and they think, well, this has nothing to do with me. I don't work for a great big company. I work for a mom and pop. I'm not really affected by any of this, blah, blah, blah. But when we go through the chapter and we actually open up our hearts and our minds to how it does apply to us, I think we're all going to see this chapter in sort of a different light. At least that's my goal. That's why we're here this morning. So with no further ado, let's go to page 141, 141 in the fourth edition, 141. And we're going to begin three quarters of the way down the page with the paragraph that starts with, but there are many men who want to stop and I'll give you half a second to get to page 141 and the paragraph, but there are many men who want to stop. And by the way, while we're waiting for people to get to that page, let's also remember that there's something else about this chapter, which sets it apart from the rest of the book. This is the only chapter of the book where God is not mentioned. Isn't that amazing that in a spiritual book, god is never mentioned in one of its chapters that's because hank was not kind of hank was an atheist and hank was not a big fan of that word g-o-d god and whatever you are whether you are an atheist whether you are an agnostic, whether you are a strong believer or a moderate believer, whatever it is you are, it's okay. As long as one thing is in place, a belief or a willingness to believe that there is a power greater than yourself. That's all that's required. You don't have to believe in any type of God. You don't have to believe in any concept of god all you need to believe is that there is a power greater than yourself and with a willingness to believe you don't have to believe just a willingness to believe that is all that is required to recover one thing i know for sure don't i That when I look in the mirror, the power that has been unleashed in my life that has led me into a recovery did not come from anything that I can see in a mirror. So I am willing today to believe that there is a power greater than myself. And that's the most important belief that I can hold on to. And that I have come to believe that a power greater than myself could restore me to sanity. And in areas of my life that I didn't even know were insane and out of control and vandalized and putrefied and destroyed, I find, excuse me, that I'm healing in these areas that I didn't even know we're broken. And so the promise that I'm going to make to you today is this. The disease is very serious. The disease is permanent, progressive, and fatal, but the recovery is so all-encompassing, and the recovery is progressive too, and the recovery is life-giving, life-giving recovery. Okay, 141, but there are many men who want to stop, and with them, you can go far let's stop right there. We've only done one sentence, but we're going to stop right there. And remember that this is sort of an annex. It's sort of an appendix to this 12th step. What does the 12th step say? It says, Having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message, the message of the big book, to alcoholics. And then what is the third part of the 12th step? It says very simply, and to practice these principles, what are the principles? The principles are the steps in all of our affairs. And we have to wives or to the people closest to us. And then we have the family afterward, which are the people that are also very close to us, but not exactly in that tight knit spouse or that one-on-one kind of thing. And then we have the two employers and that's your work life. But let's apply this if we can to sponsorship. And it says here, but there are many men who want to stop and with them, you can go far. And one of the things that I hear all the time, I hear this every week of my life, somebody will call me and they'll say, I have a sponsee and they do won't do this and they won't do that. And when I say to the sponsor, let them go, if they're telling you what they're not going to do unless it's they're not gonna eat compulsively anymore, or engage in compulsive eating behaviors like bulimia or, or, or restricting anorexia, then let them go, leave them alone. But it says here, but there are many men who want to stop and with them, you can go far. Good note for sponsorship. Let's continue your understanding treatment of their cases will pay dividends and when you sponsor and when you find yourself being of service real service to other human beings what happens is your life my life starts to become tremendously enhanced we're in envision for you right now we're in the promises on page eighty three and eighty four of the big book, if you've been following in vision, and in those promises it says, no matter how far down the scale you have gone, you will see how your will <clears throat> excuse me, your experience will benefit others. You know when I was young, I was tortured by this disease. When I was young, I never went on a date. I didn't look like the other kids. I didn't feel like the other kids. When I was young, I dieted as best I could from age six on. By the time I was a teenager, I was emasculated physically and I was emasculated emotionally by this disease. And I was an object of ridicule and I was uncomfortable physically and I was uncomfortable emotionally. And I was very suicidal. I did not want to live in the world. I didn't see the point. I knew I couldn't live with the food, and I knew I couldn't live without the food, and so I became very defeated in my attitudes toward life. I knew that if I dared to dream dreams, if I dared to fantasize about any type of future, that that future would be ruined by the food that I was going to eat and the fact that I was so fat. And the fact is I could not stop eating. Now, why am I mentioning that? Why am I talking about that this morning? We're supposed to be having a nice morning and a nice meeting. Why am I talking about such dark, ominous things? The reason is because those very things, those very experiences have become my greatest asset. Because I can utilize those experiences to throw a lifeline, a life preserver. Do you remember what our magazine in OA was called from 1960 to 2019 when they discontinued it? What is it? It's called the lifeline. Why is it called the lifeline? Because that's what we throw to one another. That's what we are to one another. And it's in that dark past, in those nightmarish experiences that I find that I can be of maximum service to God and the people about me. So when we go through these chapters, and when we go through these paragraphs into employers, we can see that not only does this apply to a bigger company, which most of us don't work for such big companies. I don't know all of you, obviously, there's 113 of you. I don't know all of you but i don't know too many of you that work for big gigantic companies most of us work at smaller companies most of us work for companies where this would not be the case where it's you know so large so we can apply that in our sponsorship we can apply it in our lives no matter how far down the scale we have gone we will see how our experience can benefit others. And in another part of the book that we read, it says your dark past can be, that's in the family afterwards, it says your dark past can become your greatest asset. Why is it an asset? Because it allows you to help other people. Let's continue. We're on one- 41. Perhaps you have such a man in mind, he wants to quit drinking, and you want to help him, even if it be only a matter of good business. Even if it only be a matter of doing the right thing as a human being, you still want to help them. You still want to be of service to your fellow human being. You still want to be as much of a helper as you can. You now know more about alcoholism. What chapter do we study to learn more about alcoholism? I would recommend chapter 3. I would well actually I would recommend let's let's take that back. I would recommend the doctor's opinion, Bill's story. There is a solution and more about alcoholism, but concentrate so much on more about alcoholism. It really is a key chapter. And remember that there are four books that framed the big book. These are the four books that were used to sort of put the big book uh, out there. And that is the book of James in the New Testament. The Sermon on the Mount by Emmett Fox, the Varieties of Religious Experience by William James and the Common Sense of Drinking by Richard Peabody. And what did Peabody teach us about the the disease of alcoholism? He teaches us once an alcoholic, always an alcoholic, the disease is permanent the disease is progressive. What does that mean? It's progressive. It gets worse and worse and worse over time, whether I'm eating or not. I haven't compulsively overeaten in almost 23 years, but in the 23 years, my disease has gotten exponentially worse exponentially worse. Why does that apply? What, why, why, if I'm not eating, does the disease gets worse? Well, I'm older now I'm 23 years older. And so my metabolism has slowed considerably in 23 years. In 23 years, as I age, I am less able to burn the fat, even though I walk three miles a day, six days a week, and I do a pool workout in the afternoon, I am not able to burn calories, burn the food like I was when I was 17, 18, 19, 20 years of age age. I will never be young again. I'm young at heart, as you can tell, because I have Donald Duck behind me, or sometimes Bugs Bunny, or the Flintstones, or something. I'm very immature when it comes to certain things, but I'm still 67 years old, and I can't burn the food like I did, and the disease gets worse. If you remember the story about the man of 30, he did no drinking for 25 years, yet he was dead with in four years when he picked up the liquor so you can see in that story and other stories the disease is permanent progressive and fatal permanent progressive and fatal back to the paragraph you can see he is mentally and physically sick we have a disease of the mind the mental twist and the mental blank spot and we have a disease of the body the physical allergy You are willing to overlook his past performances. Suppose an approach is made something like this. State that you know about his drinking. And how do you state that you know about somebody's eating or drinking or whatever that may be? By telling them a little bit of your story. You don't have to go into an an intimate detail. You don't have to give them every nook and cranny at first. You just give them an idea. Now let's remember the most famous instance of this in the world had nothing to do with employment. This most famous instance took, instance took place on May the 13th, 1935. It was a Sunday, it was Mother's Day. And Dr. Bob wasn't feeling very good in Akron, Ohio that day because he was as drunk as a skunk the day before. And he extracted a promise from his wife, Ann, and he extracted a promise that he would give this rum hound from New York 15 minutes. And then after 15 minutes, he was going to get one of his headaches. And once he had one of his headaches, they were going to go home. And the last remaining survivor of that encounter was Dr. Bob's son, Smitty Jr., Bob Smith Jr. And he tells an account of that day. And he says, my dad and Bill went upstairs in the Cyberling Gatehouse at 5.15 p.m. They did not come down until 11.15 p.m pm they were up there for 6 hours now why didn't ann smith go up there and get bob and say bob it's time for us to go home what did they hear that made them stop doing that they heard their dad laughing for the first time in months they said they had not heard dad laugh in many many months when you don't feel good because you don't fit in your skin. When you don't feel good, because you're farting and you have the diarrhea and you have the gas and you have the sour stomach. And when you don't feel good because you can't really fit in your clothes, they're on you, they're covering your body, but they just don't fit. They're just too tight. They're just not cut right when you don't wanna stand and you don't wanna sit and you just wanna crawl into a hole, you don't do a lot of laughing. You just don't do a lot of laughing under those conditions because you just don't feel very good. And what they heard coming from upstairs that very fateful day, that historic day in 1935, they heard their dad Laughing. And what was he laughing about? What was so funny? Was Bill Wilson a comedian? Was Bill Wilson a stand up comedian of his day? No, he was not. Bill was the first person that Dr. Bob encountered that was an alcoholic, that was telling him about not only his own alcoholism, but how he affected a recovery therefrom using the Oxford group six step method. And Bill Wilson was not somebody that came to lecture him about alcoholism. He wasn't somebody that came and was going to talk to him about alcoholism that had never been drunk a day in their life. Bill was speaking from firsthand experience. And I am I am a compulsive overeater and I know this like I know my name, there are things that we feel and things that we see and smell and taste that a non-compulsive overeater will never understand. You could bring them to a thousand meetings. You could talk to them until you're blue in the face about what it's like to have this disease, and until they have it, which they won't, they really don't understand. It would be, I used this example yesterday. I spoke at a meeting in Italy and I I got invited actually to come back next Friday. But anyway, um, it would be as if I was blind from birth, God forbid, I was blind from birth and you're trying to explain to me what the color orange Excuse me, what the color orange looks like. You just can't do it. Where would you start? What would be your point of reference? There is no point of reference. And unless you are a compulsive overeater, you just don't get it. If you're not anorexic, you're not bulimic, you're not a compulsive overeater, there is no point of reference for you. So it says here, state that you know about his drinking and the best way for you to show somebody that you know about their eating is to share with them little vignettes of your eating. And this is how you will bridge the gap. And the shortest distance between two people is a straight laugh. But remember this, the new person, the person that's coming in or the person that's on the struggle bus, the person that's been struggle, 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 and they've been around sometimes for years. The one thing that will help them more than anything is not so much information, but identification identification is as important as any information see the doctor's opinion gives us beautiful information but dr silkworth can't identify with the alcoholic why not He's a doctor and he's, he worked at the town's hospital. He was the medical director there. Why can't he identify with the alcoholic? Because he's not an, he was not an alcoholic, he's dead. He he was not an alcoholic. So Dr, Uh, not Dr. Bob, Dr. Silkworth has no point of reference with which to identify with his patient, But Bill Wilson, they were reluctant at first. They were very, and Bill writes of this, they were reluctant at first, but when Bill would go to the town's hospital and he would speak to the guys and he would speak to the, the, the guys there, he could identify with them and they could identify with him in ways that the doctors, the psychiatrists, the, 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 whatever, the therapists, the counselors could not identify. Now I am not knocking any professional. I am not knocking psychiatry. I am not knocking therapy. They have their, I'm not knocking medicine, nothing. So please do not misunderstand me. Do not misunderstand me. I'm not knocking these things, but how is any member of a profession going to identify with us when they do not have the disease And the answer is they can't, they can be extremely helpful in other areas. When I needed my knees replaced or my hips replaced, I didn't go to a meeting and say, tell me about your compulsive overeating. I went to a surgeon and I said, look, I'm in a lot of pain here. And the surgeon says, let's get an x-ray. And then we got the x-ray and he says, this is what we need to do. And we did it. That's fine. That's fantastic. But when it says here, state what that you know about his drinking and that it must stop, tell them about your eating, your drinking, your drugging, whatever it is you're addicted to. I'm not not a drug addict. I'm not an alcoholic, but I can certainly speak with authority of what it's like to be a compulsive overeater. If I don't know much, I do know that. I may not be the smartest guy in the room, but I sure know what it's like to be a compulsive overeater, powerless over food. Let's continue. I'm at the bottom of 141, last two sentences here. You might say you appreciate his abilities, would like to keep him. Think of it in terms of sponsorship now, not so much the boss and the employee but cannot if he continues to drink. A firm attitude at this point has helped many of us. Let's go back to page 96. Would you go back with me, please, to page 96? And I want to remind you that when the big book wants to tell us anything, it tells it to us repeatedly. It does not tell us important things just once. So keep your finger on page 142 or keep your pen in there or something to get you back there. But I want you to go back with me to page 96. It says at the top of the page, do not be discouraged if your prospect does not respond at once. Search out another alcoholic and try again. Notice it doesn't say keep nagging the person, tackle the person, tie them up, make them listen to some podcasts. It doesn't say that. It says, search out another alcoholic. Now let's keep reading on page 96. You are sure to find someone desperate enough to accept with eagerness what you offer. We find it a waste of time to keep chasing a man who cannot or will not work with you. If you leave such a person alone, he may soon become convinced that he cannot recover by himself to spend too much time on any one situation is to deny some other alcoholic an opportunity to live and be happy. One of our fellowship failed entirely with his first half dozen prospects. He often says if he had continued to work on them, he might have deprived many others who have since recovered of their chance. You know who Bill Wilson is talking about? Let's go back to page 142. You know who Bill Wilson is talking about when he says that the guy failed with his first half dozen prospects and it was a lot more than a half dozen? He's talking about himself. He's talking about himself. Two-thirds of the recoveries early on came out of Akron with Dr. Bob. They didn't come out of New York. Why not? Dr. Bob was a far better sponsor than Bill Wilson. What did Bill do wrong? He was gonna sober you up whether you wanted to sober up or not. He was gonna force this down your throat. You know how it says in the traditions, we're a program of attraction, not promotion. The biggest promoter was Bill Wilson. He's gonna promote this thing and he's dragging these guys off the bar stool in New York and he's taking them home and poor Lois is feeding them and poor Lois is cleaning up after him. Bill knew he didn't have to do it. He just dumped that on his wife. But he's working on them and he's gonna teach him about the Oxford group and he's gonna have them down there praying on their knees and blah blah. And they didn't want it. It says in Bill's story about Ebby, he came to pass this along to me, dash, if I cared to have it. But Bill wasn't going to hear that. His ego said, "I'm going to sober up everybody," and he wasn't as good up If you look at the, if you look at the stories in the first part of the book called the Pioneer section of AA, the pioneers, most of the pioneers came from Akron they did not come out of New York and a lot of the ones that had their stories in the big book in the first edition went back to drinking they didn't do 10 11 and 12 as we know them today they saw recovery because they didn't know or they weren't willing they didn't see it like we see it today that you have to live in 10 11 and 12 But Bill Wilson was not a good sponsor. He was a good promoter. And Dr. Bob asked these guys, what does he ask Bill Dotson? Are you sure you're done? Is this something that you want? That question was not asked by Bill Wilson. It was asked by Dr. Bob. And Dr. Bob, when he sensed that you weren't ready or you didn't want this, He left you alone because his ego was not as gigantic as Bill Wilson's ego, and he was able to step out of the scenario and leave you to your own devices. He was patient where Bill was not. A firm attitude at this point has helped many of us. I'm at the top of 142. 142. Next, he can be assured that you do not intend to lecture, moralize, or condemn. I would never condemn. I would never moralize. I might lecture, but I'm not going to moralize and I might not. I'm not going to condemn. I understand. This is a tough, tough, tough disease. I don't care whether you're on my side of it, the extreme obesity or whether you come from the anorexic, restricting, bulimic side. I've told you about my friend who lives in Northern California. (sighs) If I introduce you to this person, you would look at this person and you would say what I said, what the hell are you doing here? What, What are you here for? Well, they're the other side of the coin, the restrictor. The anorexic, the bulimic, there's exercise bulimia, regurgitation bulimia, and there's laxative bulimia. There's three forms of bulimia. And then there's these, the restrictors, the anorexics. They get the same high out of restricting as I get from a bag of Doritos or a box of donuts. And this person it looks very different than me. You can see that they're from the other side of the coin. But they have a pendulum swing. They go from very, very low weight, very, very restricted intake of food. Then they swing out and they eat everything in sight. They gain a lot of weight. But this person is the same as me. They are dumpster diving, garbage can, back alley, uh, gutter, 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 compulsive overeater but you would never know it by looking at the person because they look so different. But it's just opposite sides of the same exact coin. Garbage can, compulsive overeaters, dumpster diving, back alley compulsive overeaters come in many forms, many shapes, many races, many religions, creeds, colors, and many, many different forms of the disease, many different aspects of the disease, but we are all bound together by the fact that we have a physical allergy and we have a twist of the mind. Very, very important. Page 142, that if this was done formerly, it was because of misunderstanding. If possible, express a lack of hard feeling toward him at this point it may be well to explain alcoholism the illness what is alcoholism it is a twist of the mind where the mind is searching for the effect And the effect is that sense of ease and comfort that comes instantly by consuming certain foods. And those foods give us an instant feeling of peace. They give us an instant feeling of satisfaction. They give us an instant feeling of euphoria. But the problem with food is, it has the least lifespan, the lowest lifespan of any addictive substance. You know, with liquor, these guys can stay drunk for long periods of time. With drugs, they can stay high for longer periods of time. But the high from food is a momentary high. And then the deplorable pall of remorse, the the deplorable pall of, of shame and guilt and horrible horrible dread starts coming in but by then it's too late because the physical allergy has now been triggered and once that physical allergy gets triggered then you're going to eat more than you had intended to and the more you eat the more you want the more you want the more you eat and it's just endless so does this chapter apply to me You bet your bottom that it applies to me. You bet your bottom that it applies to me because it's not just about a big company and one of its employees. It's about sponsorship. It's about living with this illness. It's about life when you are an addict and the understanding that we must give each other. Let's continue. Say that you believe he is gravely ill, is a gravely ill person with this qualification being perhaps fatally ill. Does he want to get well? Ask that question. Does the person want to get well? I just finished telling you that Bill Wilson in New York was a much less effective sponsor. Now, did Bill Wilson lack an understanding of what you need to do to get sober? No. Did Bill Wilson know less about how to convey the information than Dr. Bob? No. Bill Wilson's problem was he didn't ask the question, does, do you want to get well? And when we read in Alcoholics Number Three, Bill Dotson, Bill will say that it was Dr. Bob that asked him do you want to quit drinking for good? And if you do, we have a way for you to do so. And if you don't, what did he say? We will leave you alone. Whereas with Bill Wilson, he, he wasn't hearing that. He wasn't having that. Oh no, this guy's going to get sober. I'm going to take him under my wing and I'm going to get sober. I'm going to get him sober. Sorry. And what happened when, doctor, when, when Bill Wilson took some of these guys home? We had a guy in New York, uh, and he burned their home, burned their uh, mattress. He was a gambler. He was a bridge player. And he was Bill Cousins. He was a lawyer. Bill Cousins was in New York. He was a lawyer. He was a gambler. And he was selling their luggage and their clothing at pawn shops. They didn't know it. And one day they came home and he had committed suicide. He left the gas on and breathed in the gas and he, he, he died. Bill Cousins did that. And what did Bill never ask Bill Cousins that we know of? Hey, Bill, do you wanna get well? You're giving a busted out gambler a roof over his head, food, free room service, and, sh- and crap that he can go sell at a pawn shop. Of course, he's gonna tell you everything you wanna hear. He's gonna tell you whatever you wanna hear. But he didn't really wanna get sober, did he? Now, there are mistakes that are made and there are people who lie, absolutely. But at least ask the question. The question is, do you want to get well? Not ask, don't ask them, do you want to stop eating? Nobody wants to stop eating. Do not ask them, do you want to stop eating cookies? Ask them, do you want to get well? And who doesn't want to get well? Only the people that are the sickest of the sick. Only the people that are the sickest of the sick. Do you want to get well? It's very important how you phrase the question. Let's continue. You ask because many alcoholics being warped and drugged do not want to quit. But does he or she? Do you want to get well? And sometimes you have to know how to forge through the negativity and the fear. When I was... 400 500 600 700 pounds i didn't want to get well i just wanted to die i just wanted to die i didn't want to get well i just wanted to get dead and sometimes i have to say to the person i was really scared when i was in your situation throw them an identification lifeline Throw them some identification that you were really scared. You know, it's really hard for some people to get in touch with their feelings. And sometimes that belligerence, that active belligerence is really just fear taking that form. It can be very, very tough. I've told you before, I have a friend that lives in New York City. And he was a crack addict, or is a crack, did not was, is a crack addict. He smoked a lot of crack. And he did, he stepped out on his marriage. Many, you know, he stepped out on his marriage and he is a compulsive overeater. He lives in New York City. And he is a good guy. He's a really good guy. He's funny. Boy, what a character this guy is. This guy's, if this guy doesn't have his own television show at some point, somebody at CBS probably needs to be fired because he is, he's a character and a half. But he had to get well from several different addictions. And he's sober today, he's abstinent today, he's sponsoring today, and he is a a joy to behold. But he had to ask himself that question. Do I wanna get well? Do you want to get well? Very, very important. Will he take every necessary step, submit to anything to get well, to stop drinking forever? When you start giving me the list of what you're not going to do, you now turn me off. Do not give me the list of what you're not going to do. You're not going to weigh and measure and you're not going to do step nine and you're not going to do step four. I've heard enough. Goodbye. I I can't deal with you. I can't hog tie you and make you do something that you don't want to do. But I will suggest this. How about we start at step one? Could you weigh and measure your food just for today? And if you really feel that it's that vile to weigh and measure your food for one day, tomorrow the chips ahoy are on me. I'll buy the chips ahoy for you, whatever kind you want. Sure, when I was eating Chips Ahoy, they had one kind of Chips Ahoy. Now they have like 93,000 types of Chips Ahoy. What the heck did I stop when I stopped? Should I hold on for a couple more? I'm kidding, I'm kidding. But at some point, you have to say to that person, could you do it for one day? And if they still won't do it, leave them alone. love them gain. leave them alone. If he says, yes, I'm in the middle of 142. If he says yes, does he really mean it? Or down inside, does he think he is fooling you? And that after rest and treatment, he will be able to get away with a few drinks now and then? You're either in or you're out. I'll tell you a story about a guy I know. His name is Harlan. And he lived in Chicago. And it's me, in case you haven't figured that out. I was gonna be the liar that was gonna beat the system. I love to beat the system. And what I said was, yes, I'm abstinent. Yes, I'm gonna be abstinent. What I really meant was I'm gonna be abstinent six days a week. And every Sunday, I'm gonna eat whatever I want. As soon as midnight comes on Saturday, I'm gonna eat everything in sight until Sunday at midnight. And you're not gonna stop me. And Sunday turned into Saturday and Sunday. And Saturday and Sunday turned into Friday, Saturday and Sunday. You see where we're going with this, don't you? You're either doing this or you're not. You're either doing this or you're not. You're not. You can't bullshit a bullshitter. We are the best BSers God ever put on the face of this earth. We have BS detectors that are as sensitive as any instrument on earth. Why? Because we are hip to the BS. We have said the BS, we have heard the BS, and we are not in any way, shape, or form usually going to let the BS get by us. Here's what I do see, though, and this is what I see. Let me just finish this paragraph, and then we'll talk. We believe a man should be thoroughly probed on these points. Boy, I agree. Be satisfied he is not deceiving himself or you. You know what I see some in OA? I see this a lot. People who know the person is lying, but their codependency gets in the way. And they don't want to believe what they know to be true because they want the person to like them. They want to be popular and they want to be well thought of. Let me let you in on a secret. If I don't call somebody on their BS, I am evil. I am not helping them. I am hurting them. The sociopath, the criminal mind, the criminal mind is immune from talk therapy. As a matter of fact, when the criminal mind, the killers, when they go into talk therapy, it actually can make them better criminals. If you've seen a certain show that I really used to like, it hasn't been on for a long time. They talk about this quite a bit. And this is the same thing. A lot of people that are addicts know just how to say what you want to hear, but they're not doing it. You're not doing them any favors if you don't gently and lovingly call their cards. I had someone just the day before yesterday, the day before yesterday, someone who also lives in New York, different person totally different person. And this person tried to convince me that a certain food was okay. And I had to call them on it. It's not okay. It's loaded with sugar, loaded with chemicals, loaded with all kinds of stuff. And I had to call their cards. I didn't like doing it. I want everybody to like me just like everybody else. But in the final analysis, I'm no friend to anybody. If I buy your baloney, if I buy your lies, That's not being a friend to anybody. There's a way to do it that's loving. And this is the best way I have found. You know, I used to say that, thank God I didn't really believe it, but you know what? I knew in my heart that eating that was a huge mistake. I knew that eating that was triggering my physical allergy. I knew that eating that was just a denial mechanism. And this person backed way down very, very quickly. I don't talk to them about what they're doing. I talk to them about me and what I was doing in the same scenario. Want to be liked? Do God's work. You want to be liked to the expense of someone else? That's dangerous. That's why we have other programs for people like that that are addicted to that. And Eleanor Roosevelt said, when considering what others think of us, let's first consider consider how little they do. What are most people thinking of me most of the time? Nothing, absolutely nothing. Whether you mention this book is a matter for your discretion, if he temporizes and still thinks he can ever drink again, even beer, he might as well be discharged after the next bender, which if an alcoholic, he is almost certain to have. If you are a compulsive overeater and you're consuming allergic foods, you're not working the steps, it is not a question of if you're gonna eat again, it is a question of when. And if you're eating allergic foods, you're already eating, I shouldn't have said it that way. You're already eating, but it's a matter of going crazy you know, going nuts with the food. That's going to happen. It is a certainty. Let's continue. He should understand that emphatically. Either you are dealing with a man who can and will get well or you are not. Great sponsorship advice, boys and girls. Either you're dealing with somebody who wants to get well or you are not. There's no middle ground here. Yes, some people need to be educated and some people need, you know, one thing I would suggest, and this is just me, one, there's, there's a couple of things I would suggest for any sponsor of a brand new person or a person that's coming off the struggle bus. I would have them listen to a podcast that is on the Los Angeles website. And it's part of the OA birthday every year. It's always on Sunday because the guy that runs it is a very religious Orthodox Jewish person and he doesn't do it on Saturday. So it's always on Sunday morning and it's called the Sober Eating Workshop. And Adam is the guy that's in charge. Adam B, wonderful guy. Adam goes through in an hour or an hour and a half, I think. um, He goes through a lot of stuff that new people and struggling people need to hear specifically about food. You know, I don't like food questions. And when we get to the Q and always say, don't ask me food questions and all that because I'm not qualified to know what you should and shouldn't be eating. I don't know, I'm not a nutritionist and I don't play one on television, but this workshop is remarkably good. It's really remarkably good. And I think anybody would benefit from listening to it. I don't know how to get you there, I'm not as as adept on the computer as some, but all you got to do is go to the Los Angeles Overeaters Anonymous workshop. But I'm going to ask somebody, if you could, maybe Maria, maybe Kathy M, maybe whatever, whoever, could somebody put that in the chat? Because we have had that in the chat before, how to get to the sober eating workshop. And then there's a pamphlet that OA has, and you won't hear me touting OA literature very often, but I'm going to do it today. I'm going to do it right now. There's a pamphlet that used to be called or is called the dignity of choice, but then they changed it into something else. And I'm going to ask that same person uh, to please put a link to the OA.org. And these are food plans that can get you started Uh, but that sober eating workshop really answers a heck of a lot of questions. All right, let's continue because as I see, we just don't have that much time left. Okay, if not, why waste time with him? This may seem severe, but it is usually the best course. After satisfying yourself that your man wants to recover, after satisfying yourself that your man wants to recover, first I wanna hear words, then I wanna see action very famous football coach who coached in Chicago. He was very famous guy. The the guy said, what you're doing is screaming so loudly, I can't hear what you're saying. Don't give me lip service. I've been around the block too many times and I've cut through too many of the alleys for that you've got to show me action, action. Okay, wants to recover and that he will go to any extreme to do so. You may suggest a definite course of action. What is the course of action? Put down the food and work the steps. So if you're gonna ask me during the Q&A, what's the course of action? It's put the food down, and work the steps. What's that course of action? Put the food down and work the steps with a sponsor. Put the food down, work the steps. Any questions, wait till question and answer, but I cannot imagine that there'd be any questions about this because it's so simple and yet it can be difficult. For most alcoholics who are drinking or who are just getting over a spree, a certain amount of physical treatment is desirable even imperative. And what does that mean? Sometimes you got to just dry out. The matter of physical treatment should, of course, be referred to your own doctor, whatever the method, its object is to thoroughly clear mind and body of the effects of alcohol in competent hands. This Seldom takes long, nor is it very expensive. Your man will fare better if placed in such physical condition that he can think straight and no longer craves liquor. Now, see, we see very clearly. Remember, I told you about my friend in New York? I told you about my friend that lives in New York who used to smoke crack. I think we can all agree that smoking crack alters your mind. Can we all agree that eating sugar alters your mind? I know I'm on board with that. I don't think straight when I'm eating Tootsie Rolls. I can't think straight when I'm I'm consuming sugar or I'm consuming my binge foods. See, we see so clearly that smoking crack or drinking liquor alters a person's mind. We don't see as clearly that the consumption of sugar that the consumption of some sweeteners for me, I don't know how it is for you, that the consumption of white flour for me, that the consumption of fried foods, crispy foods, uh, uh, fried chicken, I eat boiled chicken, but I, and I'll eat certain roasted stuff. But if I fry it you know, with the thing, it gets me crazy. It gives me that effect and it triggers my physical allergy. I can't eat sugar. I can't eat these things without getting altered. But I I could pass a breathalyzer. If I'm driving my car and I got stopped, I could pass a breathalyzer. Thank God there's in the state of Illinois or Arizona or wherever you live. Thank God there's no such crime as DWE driving while eating. Because if there was a crime of driving while eating, I would have been ticketed and imprisoned years ago. Years ago. This is something that has happened to me way more than once. I could consume a bucket of chicken from Colonel Sanders in the car, throwing the bones out the window And I have driven in ways that endangered my life. I have driven in ways that endangered my life and those around me. Not once, many times. Let's continue and let's finish this paragraph. If you propose such a procedure to him, it may be necessary to advance the cost of treatment, but we believe it should be made plain that any expense will later be deducted from his pay. It is better for him to feel fully responsible. I can't pay for your treatment, but what I can say to you is if you need that, do it. But you need two days of clean abstinence before we can get started. Let's see if we can finish the next paragraph. I think we can. If your man accepts your offer, it should be pointed out that physical treatment is but a small part of the picture. Stop right there. I'm not knocking treatment centers. Please don't come away and say Harlan said treatment centers are bad. Nope. I did not say that. Here's the problem with treatment centers. As I see it over the 42 years I've been here, the treatment centers that whether they're 12 step or not, And the ones that advertise, we are not a 12-step center, God bless them, whatever. You know, I I have no opinion on that. It's completely outside the scope of what I want to offer an opinion on. But here's the opinion that I do have. (laughs) No matter what treatment center you go to, Towns Hospital, which is no longer there, it's condos, or or bellevue or whatever it is you go to if you don't work the steps go to meetings get a sponsor and stay out of the food one day at a time after treatment you're kidding yourself you're kidding yourself there are people on this zoom call right now i don't i can't really go through here and see who's on here i'm trying to think of what i'm going to say and i'm watching the and all that i don't have the time or the interest to go through here to see who's on here but i'd be willing to bet you of 121 people in this zoom room right now there are a minimum of five of you that have had bariatric surgery minimum of five that have had the surgery what are you doing here if you've had the surgery you should be fixed right what are you doing what are you doing here The reason that you're here is that treated a symptom of the disease. I'm not knocking bariatric surgery. It has its place. I have no opinion on such things. None. Zero. What I'm talking about is follow-up. Follow-up. I'm walking during most of the vision meetings. And I love when I hear someone share, I'm doing 90 and 90. And I'm talking to myself as I'm walking. It's a good thing I never got locked up. And I say out loud, what are you gonna do on day 121? What are you gonna do on day 203? What are you gonna do on day 309? Because this is not a 90 day process. This is a lifetime process. Bariatric surgery has its place. Psychiatry has its place. Therapy has its place. Diets have their place. Treatment centers have their place. They're all good. They're all fine. It's what are you going to do now that you're done with it? What are you going to do now? Let's continue. Though you are providing him with the best possible medical attention, he should understand that he must undergo a change of heart. Well, what did Dr. Jung tell Roland? This spiritual experience will change your attitudes, emotions, ideas, and behaviors. The spiritual experience or the spiritual awakening. I've never had a spiritual experience. I've had a spiritual awakening of the educational variety. If someone knows how to have a spiritual awakening or or experience without working the steps, then God bless you. That's never been my experience. To get over drinking will require a transformation of thought and attitude. We all had to place recovery above everything for without recovery, we would have lost both home and business this better be the most important thing in my life without exception. It, there is nothing more important than this. Money is not important than this. Sex is not more important than this. Although I had to think about that one for a minute. Nothing is more important than this because without this, nothing will matter because I will be dead. Okay, now, we're going to stop on page 143. And we're going to pick it up next Saturday with can you have